Dr. Philip, according to a five-year research carried out by the Malaysian Institute of Road Safety Research, or MIROS, 18% of 13.3 million registered drivers in Malaysia will be at the end of a road rage incident. Mentally, what goes through the mind of a road rage perpetrator that, that triggers such drastic behavior? Well, actually, there are many factors that influence road rage. Just like that rat experiment where there were far too many rats in a cage and then that triggered mayhem. So now when there are far too many people on the road than ever before, crowding causes aggression. But this is not true for all crowded places, you know, like shopping malls or public transport. And that's because people in these places are seen just as that. As people. Right. But when you're behind a wheel in a car, the vehicle becomes suddenly a safe haven. And road ragers don't really think about the consequences or even about other people on the road as real people with real families anymore. But there are also specific personality traits that are more common among road bullies. I mean, road ragers often described as selfish, power-hungry, angry, and vindictive. And they're often repetitive offenders. It used to be more among males, but now we see women drive just as aggressively, rudely, and even dangerously. Mm. For some, of course, it could be, you know, waking up on the wrong side of the bed or just not being in a good mood. But for others, it's a need for control to counter the drivers whom they feel violate their space or it's a need for possession of their lane on their part of the road sort of thing. Yeah. There's a difference between road rage and just being angry while you're driving then someone cuts into your lane, though, right? Yeah, but how you respond, react to that can also determine whether it goes on to becoming a road rage. JD yeah. was just checking on his behalf here. Just wondering. Sake. I'm just checking, yeah. So, so Dr. Philip, yeah. would this be sort of a behavioral trait, for want of a better word, that actually goes across the board in other areas of their life as well? Yeah, very often if it is something that's in the in their personality mm-hmm. or a trait then it will uh, also be exhibited in other areas or domains of their life is it helpable can you do something about it if you recognize that in yourself actually in my, uh, my university the IMU is in collaboration with Miros and the International Surgical Society and Drivemark to raise awareness about impacts of road accidents on the healthcare system and roles on how we can reduce road traffic accidents altogether okay. especially Especially on the aspect of behavior, which contributes to more than 80% of road traffic accidents. And so this also includes road rage for sure. Mm. So when we're on the road, I think it's best to consider defensive driving as a habit that we want to adopt to, you know, safeguard ourselves and the lives of the ones that we love. So this means, you know, preventing incidences by taking control of the situation. So if you're being tailgated, change lanes. If somebody wants to cut into your lane, let them do it. I mean, what do you got to lose? Slow down, let them do, you know, what they feel they think they need to do. And don't return gestures. Stay behind the person who is angry at all costs. I mean, if necessary, even pull off the road or take an exit and let them go on and you know if all else fails pull into a nearest police station or crowded area like a patrol station I think staying safe and defensive is more smart than trying to challenge the other person Dr. Philip therapists have reported a significant increase in clients who are anxious worried or depressed over current events they can teach coping skills such as emotional regulation
regulation, but say it's also important for people to proactively take steps to be mentally healthy. We've heard of working out of the body physically or working out the body physically, should I say. But how do we work out our mind to cope with today's current events? Well, we definitely have seen an increase in mental health issues since the start of the pandemic, and that's due to various factors. But before we encounter a mental illness, there are things we can do proactively to prevent them from occurring. Just like eating right to prevent diabetes and hypertension, there are also diets that promote good mental health. So focus on a balanced diet, which is rich in maybe fruits and vegetables, along with foods with more omega-3 fatty acids like fish. Mm -hmm. Uh, Dark green leafy vegetables are brain protective. Nuts, seeds, legumes such as beans and lentils are also excellent brain food. But also building our own mental health resilience by, you know, building our own buffers like daily exercise or cutting down on caffeine and alcohol and practicing mindfulness, yoga, breathing exercises, meditation, prayer, laughter, journaling, and even talking to others. All of these are helpful techniques to maintain good mental health. We need to actually consider doing an audit and identify how much our time and effort is actually spent on these mental health hygiene techniques and invest more time and energy into making them part of our daily life. Actually putting it into the schedule to be done every day as part of, you know, what we have to do, right? Absolutely, Okay. Yeah. With our friends and family losing their jobs and, and, and being afraid of, of what may happen next, how can we be a, an active and positive influence in their lives? Well, positive influence is really the impact you have on another person and, of course, yourself, uh, but basically by pointing out strengths and virtues. So it helps others value what's best within themselves and make them better today than maybe they were yesterday. The three steps to positive influence and one is inspiring change. You know, point out how people can use a particular strength to build up a weakness because they can be too focused on the negatives and they're not, you know, having a bird's eye view on the whole issue. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe create a demand. So, you know, make people aware of what they have to offer that will make a difference. You know, for example, if somebody has good IT skills, he or she can invest in ability in his ability in teaching others who lack that skill. Mm-hmm. You know? And then finally motivate a sense of purpose. You know, identify the person's passion, show your confidence in them to use their talents and abilities and skill sets to fulfill their sense of purpose. You know, I think that essentially helps them to develop, you know, positive influence. Dr. Philip, the role of any workout music is to dull the pain, raise the spirits and possibly make time pass a lot faster. Um, scientists refer to the disassociative effects of music, meaning that it helps to distract the mind from the internal fatigue related symptoms. Why is music important to our mental health, especially during this pandemic? Well, actually, simply listening to music in itself is a healthy activity, especially if the music is soothing to the ear and the brain. Uh, Studies have shown that music can ease stress and anxiety. In fact, one analysis found that music helped post-operative patients reduce stress and require less pain relief medication. So, yeah, Mm. music can elevate an individual's mood, resulting in a more positive outlook, and it offers a pathway to connecting with other humans as well. And, How so? You know, 
you know, music is created and the creativity comes with that human sort of touch involved in it. And so even in a lockdown, when you are listening to some good music and the different pieces of the band that's playing in that, mm. you are actually connecting with those humans who created that music. Right. You know? So yeah. it's part of connecting with mm. others as well. Question though, the kind, the type of music, because Asha and I completely disagree on the kind of music that we like. <laughs> right? So what works for me may not necessarily work for her and vice versa, right? Yeah. Well, music preference varies widely. And so I think it's important that you decide what you like and what's suitable for each mm. mood. Listening to music can have a tremendous, you know, relaxing effect, but it's shown to be even more with slow, quiet, classical music. Right. Which, as opposed to, because I was going to say that, you know, as you said, music can elevate your mood, but it can also yeah. spiral you, can't it? If you're not listening to the, the right kind of music, it helps you sort of stay in that state that you want to be shifting from is that is that correct yeah well it again goes according to our own innate interests and likes so you know there's a generational gap or difference between the types of music that actually help with you know sort of sustaining and controlling moods for example the top genre for depressed listeners in a study was rock oh, uh, followed, interesting. followed okay. by alternative pop and hip-hop but for anxiety it was rock again, followed by classical music, easy listening, country and pop. So there's no real standard prescription, but in the end, it shows that classical music cuts across all borders. So The classics it, are always the best. <laughs> yeah. Sir John Bell, who is heading the British inoculation program for COVID-19, thinks that the experience of the pandemic will give this generation's young people a, a shot of resilience. However, a youth index claimed that half of the 16 to 25-year-olds surveyed said their mental health had deteriorated since the start of the pandemic. Dr. Philip, how can a pandemic teach grit or, or mental resilience to our youth? Well, you know, although adolescents are generally perceived as a healthy group, the WHO states that 20% of them in any given year experience a mental health problem, most commonly depression or anxiety. Emotional health and well-being of adolescents have implications on their self-esteem, their behavior, their attendance at school, you know, educational achievement, social connectedness, and overall quality of health. So here, the Princess Trust in UK found that half of the people that they surveyed, who were between 16 and 25, had uh, mental health that was deteriorated since the start of the pandemic. So resilience is not a static state. In fact, most studies suggest that it's a potential in every child, even those facing extreme adversity. But it also requires other ingredients in the mix. You know, children manage adversity better when they have positive relationships with responsible adults right. or they have confidence in their own abilities and are valued by others. And in an era, in an era where value is often measured by how many A's you get in an exam and positive relationships is measured by how many gadgets your parents buy for you. Mm -hmm. This can end up not helping build grit or resilience. Right. Coupled with, you know, smaller family sizes, lack of extended family, overindulgence in social media and that compare and contrast. This whole thing is a recipe for, you know, poor resilience. We are in the National Coalition of Mental Wellbeing, which is an initiative by the Rot by Rotary Malaysia. We are actually working towards encouraging the building of resilience and mental health skills for youth of Malaysia through various techniques like online training, peer support, teacher training and 
and various other measures. Well, as Asians, our youth tend to stay with parents till they're married, right? With this pandemic, our youth are generally stuck at home. How will this impact their ability to be or or nurture and grow resilience in this ever-changing world? In studies in Asian countries have actually revealed that prevalence of mental health problems are on the rise mm. and urban areas are more than rural. And in fact, the National Health and Mobility Survey in 2015 found 29.2% of adolescents suffering from mental health issues. So more and more teenagers are also found mm. to have you know, a desire to commit suicide. Being stuck at home can be both good and bad. I mean, they at least have a roof over their heads and it means that, you know, they are major, but it also means that their major life change of being independent is delayed. Mm -hmm. And this can delay other important life skills, which are just as important as intellectual skills. I believe it's important that this population spend time and energy to equip themselves with better mental health skills, of which a lot are actually available online. There are numerous apps that teach and promote mindfulness, meditation, Mm -hmm. breathing exercises, scheduling, and even gratitude journaling. This is an all too familiar scene for most of us parents. Our kids in lockdown, zero social interaction, zero physical activities except walking to the fridge, which of course means more screen time for our kids. Sometimes with everything that's going on at home for, for us parents, for work, household chores, meals, it's really difficult to give the kids 100% attention they need, even in small pockets. Um, And so, you know, we do default to allowing them to use their devices. How can we ensure that we're giving our child a good balance for their mental well-being. Yeah, with this pandemic, many parents have relaxed restrictions on screens as a stopgap way to, you know, keep frustrated, restless children entertained and engaged. But together with education now being online and the lockdown, most limits or boundaries have almost all completely disappeared. Collapsed. (laughs) Yeah. So it's scary to think what will happen when everything comes back to normal and students are going back to school. I mean, that withdrawal will be really tough. The longer that they've been doing a habituated behavior, the harder it's going to be to Gosh. break the habit. We we know that the use of devices is a poor substitute for activities known to be central to health, like social and physical development, including physical play, other interactions that help children learn how to confront you know, their challenging social situations. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we've all heard of the work-life balance. Well, now there is the screen-life balance. Oh, my goodness. There are a few steps in achieving this, and I think it's essential for all age groups. Mm-hmm. But the first is to understand there are different types of screen time. Just like there are different types of food, there's nutritious, nutritious screen time, which could be reading an e-book or, you know, maybe an interactive music class or mm-hmm. live story time, mm-hmm. compared to scrolling through social media or watching cartoons. That's just the chocolate. Yeah. <laughs> so once you understand the categories, mm-hmm. you can develop a balance. So what it's, kind of categories are there? So there's sort of nutritious or, or educational, would yeah. you call it that? And then we've yeah. got, you know, social. Which most often is recreational. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you can sort of identify, all right, this is recreational use. You want to watch some TV shows. You want to watch some cartoons or scroll on your social media. That's recreational. That's fine. But you have to have a time frame, a time limit. And you've got to have a mix and match because your free time cannot be on a gadget alone. Mm-hmm. It's also got to be, you know, maybe exercising outside, getting some fresh air, you know, doing other activities that right. also stimulate the mind, mm-hmm. communicating with, you know, family and doing a family game, you know, board game. Right. So it has to be mixed. 